I'm Martha Velando, Chief Marketing Officer for Forever Mark. Welcome to our podcast series, The Power of a Diamond, which aims to inspire our community by featuring some of the brightest minds who will share their diverse knowledge and experiences across various industries. I'm Bronwyn Cosgrave, and I'm delighted to be speaking with Susan Farmer. Susan is a co-founder of The Leopards. Susan, great to be with you. Good to be here. Can you tell me the story of The Leopards and how you co-founded The Leopards with Solange Azaguri Partridge in 2016? Well, basically, Solange and I were having a good old moan about another handbag going for over $100,000 at, at auction. Um, the day before we, we were, we'd met. And we're both rather determined to get jewelry seen as a fashion item and something that a woman really enjoys um, as much as other accessories, which cost a small fortune. And it's appreciated that jewelry is expensive, but there's so many years of experience and training that go into designing and making a piece of jewelry we decided we wanted to up the ante and get as much publicity for jewellery as other accessories got at events like the British Fashion Awards, where accessories are always really stuck on the end somewhere and not seen as particularly consequential. So we decided to form a group to celebrate jewellery. It's not a competition, but just a celebration of jewellery in arts, film, fashion, and highlight a couple of jewellery icons. I mean, Elton John won our first icon award. Um, unfortunately, he couldn't attend the award ceremony because he was in Canada. David Furnish accepted on his behalf and said he was sorry that Elton couldn't be there, but he was in Canada earning money to buy some more jewellery, which, of course, all the press <laughs> picked up, and it was absolutely fabulous for us. Anyway, long story short, I think it was Solange that approached Carol Walton in Vogue. And then we got a gang of our friends together who were already working quite hard in training young craftsmen, had good apprenticeship schemes going, working with art schools in London, primarily London at this juncture, and also had a good address book and client list. So we ended up with Stephen Webster, Sean Lean, and Theo Fennell. And I must admit, it's been a joy working with them all. And the winners of the Leopard Apprenticeship Schemes or Mentorship Schemes have been a delight. We wanted to encourage young people into the skills and crafts of the whole industry. So we decided to link up with the Prince's Trust, which is an extraordinary institution. I don't think Prince Charles gets enough credit for starting that because he's turned so many people's lives around in very many spheres, from farming to show business to, well, now jewellery, thank goodness. And it's quite extraordinary to see the people that turn up for his awards. And the ambassadors of the Prince's Trust have been fantastically helpful with the leopards, whether it be actors and actresses or fashion designers. I think we could consider it a success. We decided to involve the Goldsmith Centre in London because it's the most important charity for the jewellery industry in the UK. And they have wonderful training programmes. They look for people that are both keen to get into the jewellery business 
or otherwise young people from very disadvantaged backgrounds and give them a leg up, both financially and training. So they've been a delight to work with. We didn't know what to call ourselves at this juncture. And as we like the leopard head, which is the London hallmark, I talked to the assay office. And to my surprise, I have to admit, they said they'd be delighted if we used the London hallmark as our logo. So the leopards were born. I'd like to pick up on something you said about jewelry and fashion and how women and men will make big purchases of accessories for thousands, sometimes, as you say, $100,000. And that piece, you know, has got a shelf life. But could you explain why celebrating and promoting the enduring value of jewelry and how jewelry can be an investment piece was very important to the leopards too? I might be a little biased, but I think jewelry is quite special because there's very little that has such lasting value. It has intrinsic value, it has emotional value. A lot more women are buying jewelry for themselves and increasingly men. And it's something very close to people's hearts. It has talismanic values, it reminds them of certain times in their lives. And jewelry will always survive to highlight the emotional points in people's lives, whether it's engagement, wedding, anniversary, birth of a child, they'll always be there. And people tend to buy diamonds for that particular reason. Why do the leopards love working with diamonds? Diamonds are quite special. Okay, other stones have their beauty, but diamonds, well, they are the hardest substance known to man, indestructible. They are the only stone that refracts and reflects light in the way it does when it's polished. And natural diamonds are absolutely unique. The industry says that the impurities in a stone are nature's birthmarks. But I think that's what makes diamonds rather special. People tend to look at a range of diamonds. If they're getting engaged, for example, they might look at lots and lots of rings. But there's always a, a diamond that actually seems to speak to them. It might have inclusions might not be perfectly cut, it might have little quirks here and there, or it might not be pure white, but they're just so individual. Solange has a great partridge, you know, established her name with her phenomenal shop in Notting Hill, which really took the kind of fear out of jewelry. Jewelry suddenly became cool in the hands of Solange. Mm. Why is she a great partner? Why was she a great partner for you to co-found the Leopards with? Solange is quite special, and it's very difficult to describe. She's a friend anyway. She's a very warm person, all character, and she's rather quirky. She never had official jewellery training. And I just think her jewellery is so distinctive. And she does have a rather bohemian clientele in the main, few showbiz people, but bohemian. And I just think her jewellery is quite, quite different to what you would normally see on any street, whether it's Bond Street or the local high street. And her men's range, I mean, more and more men are buying jewellery and diamond jewellery, thank goodness. It is, again, distinctive. It's very much their individual styles. Susan, can you talk to me about why diamonds are relevant, have continued to be relevant for both men and women? Diamonds and diamond jewellery have a very long history. They were very much 
a royal gem until I would think really when they started finding diamonds in quantity. India was the home of diamonds for centuries. And then they found them in Brazil, and then South Africa, and the rest, as they say, is history. Susan, you are a person who has their finger on the pulse. Could you look back over, say, the last 10 years or so and think about, say, a man or a woman, high profile or not that high profile, who really had an impact on diamonds, who maybe wore diamonds in a special way that prompted other people to consider, hey, I I need to wear diamonds. Well, a lot of that, in the last 10 years or so, celebrity has been the thing. And both male and female rock stars, film stars, have worn quite a lot of jewellery. And I always think of Nicole Kidman, a couple of wonderful pieces that were made for her for Oscars and red carpet appearances, rough diamonds. I remember a necklace of rough green diamonds, greenish-tinged diamonds from Botswana that were made into a necklace for her, which were absolutely, it was an absolutely wonderful piece. Elton John, I think he had a certain influence, but then more recently, people like Pharrell Williams, Alexander Skarsgård, they've started wearing diamond brooches on their black tie suits. Then you had the gangsters of old, like Al Capone. Yes, Al Capone had big diamond pinky ring. Elvis had lots of diamond jewelry. So it's that renegade glamour, really. It is, yes. The, the rock and rollers, um, they tend to wear, wear them quite well in their own way. How does sustainability inform the work of the leopards? I think all the leopards are quite passionate about the jewelry industry. And the jeweler leopards particularly have spent a long time building up their reputation and they want to keep the business going, whether it's training young people into the industry, various things, whether it's goldsmithing or diamond setting or whatever. And Carol, Carol Walton has written about jewellery for goodness knows, for a long, long time. And I can honestly say that the mines are so well run now And so many people are being given opportunities, whether it's gender, there are lots more women coming into the industry, whether it's at the mining end, the engineering and geological end, or the design, cutting and polishing diamonds. More women in the jewellery making business. It used to be a fairly masculine business when I first joined, but that's changed dramatically. I think everybody is aware and concerned about environmental issues. And I can honestly say with hand on heart, the mining companies are brilliant about replacing the land. And Botswana is a prime example of this, which is a huge supplier of diamonds now. It's one of the biggest in the world. And wonderful things have been going on down there. So they've been able to look after the land and encourage the locals into all aspects of the business. I'd like to pick up on something you mentioned about the members of the Leopards. Mm. And that is something I noticed. This is a group of like-minded individuals. Um, I think they're what unifies them is their extraordinary, eminent experience in fine jewelry. But what interests me is that you've gathered a group 
of jewelry industry professionals who come from different backgrounds. Can you explain um, how that has worked in favor for the, for the leopards and also perhaps maybe a few challenges that have been posed by people coming from different backgrounds to form this group? I think the fact that we're quite a disparate group helps because there's no point in everybody bringing the same attributes, skills, or um, contacts to the party. So it just expands, having six of us, if we all bring our contacts and experience from the different aspects of the industry, I think it can only help. I think we're all very proud of what we've done with the Prince's Trust. And then people from the fashion industry are rather intrigued and have got rather more interested in jewellery. Even people like Vivian Westwood, who's the great environmentalist these days, she comes to our events and she thinks it's all fabulous and loves the fact that it's the leopards only use ethical stones and recycled gold or fair trade gold. Could you tell us a bit about your background uh, from your time at Financial Times, How to Spend It magazine, through to your work at De Beers, and tell us how your background has informed your work with the leopards? Well, I didn't start out with any great career plan. I was at university and got a summer job at the Financial Times working on the How to Spend It pages, which was started by a woman called Sheila Black. And she said, oh, why on earth are you wasting your time at university when you could be doing something more constructive? Anyway, long story short, Mm -hmm. I dropped out, worked at the FT for about, oh, it wasn't very long, it was about 18 months. And the FT in the good old days had a bar and I bumped into a chap called Julian Baring, who was the corporate PR man for Anglo-American. And he was looking for a PA. And I went along to Charterhouse Street, which was the De Beers headquarters. And along the corridor, they were just starting a diamond marketing department. It had about three people in it. And <laughs> I got roped in. The PR who used to wear white gloves and was very ladylike and thought having to read the newspapers was a bit much. So she wore white gloves to do the newspapers, I remember that. And she left, and I was asked if I'd like to have a go at it. Anyway, I started off with a small PR job in the UK, then ended up as the international PR coordinator for the world, covering 36 countries, and then running the Diamond International Awards Programme, which was the design competition for the jewellery industry. That finished about, about the year 2000. And then got involved in more corporate stuff like Nelson Mandela's Children's Fund, a big polio eradication program in Angola, I think it started out. So got very much more involved in the corporate and health and education aspects of De Beers. Then I retired officially. This was still going in a couple of days a week, two or three days a week. Susan, I seem to recall that you had an interesting experience with Elizabeth Taylor, who, as we all know, was a great champion and collector of some of the world's greatest diamonds. Tell us about your experience with Elizabeth Taylor. Well, I can tell you endless stories about Elizabeth Taylor and diamonds. I loved it when Richard Burton bought her that huge diamond, this is 69 carats. And when it was being shipped from London to Los Angeles, 
she made a special request for the courier to, to also have 12 pairs of American tan pantyhose, which she couldn't get in America. <laughs> so this wonderful diamond arrived with these tights, as we call them. And um, when she got the Krupp diamond, again, a beauty of 33-carat emerald-cut diamond, she said she had never been so left-handed in her life and kept waving it around at every opportunity, whether she was on television or on the red carpet or wherever. I got involved when she was made a fellow of the British Film Institute, which, for those that don't know, is seriously prestigious. There are still only about 50-odd members worldwide since the British Film Institute started. And because that trophy was shaped like an eye that you see through, that sort of eye, but like a camera lens, I had a diamond put in the center of the so-called camera lens. And she made such a fuss about this, which the press loved and trying to prize the diamond up with her knife at the dinner table and all the rest of it. <laughs> Why is it vital for the leopards to promote and recognize new talent in the fine jewelry world? And why is a group like the Leopards so important during this time, this time of crisis, of lockdown, of uncertainty? Industries or trades have to evolve or they just die. And there are certain skills that take years and years to learn. And we wanted to encourage young people into the business so there's something there when the rest of us have all given up the ghost. People like jewellery. They like giving it. They like receiving it, wearing it. I think jewellery lifts people's spirits. It's a bit like musicals being popular during the war when people are going through really rough times. They want a bit of glamour and excitement. And I think in times of uncertainty, I think people cling to things with lasting value, whatever it is lasting value, emotional significance, talismanic properties. I just think people will always like jewellery. And I think whatever the situation, people will always buy it. It's just a question of what they buy, how much they're willing to spend, and whether they'll think of it beyond significant moments, emotional moments in their lives, like engagement and marriage. Let's consider 2021. Can you tell us about the forward direction of the Leopards? Well, in many ways, I think we'll keep on doing what we've been doing so far. We're due to have our next fundraising gala in January 2021, which will be, I think will be a good fillip for the industry after what has been quite a difficult year worldwide. And again, draw attention to jewellery. And we have the Natural Diamond Council and Forever Mark Diamonds and all sorts of people involved. So it's going to be a very diamond-oriented gala next time, which I think is good because I think I have diamonds in my veins or kimberlite or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it will be more of the same and hopefully expand. Can you tell us about the Leopards' ambitions beyond the UK? Well, it'd be lovely. We'd love to expand it because it started off very London-focused. Now it's much more national. But we like working with the Prince's Trust. We think it's a very good charity doing very good work. And now that's, the Prince's Trust is expanding. They've just launched in North America. Anyway, we'd love to expand it as much as anybody's willing to let us. Susan Farmer... 
Thank you for talking to me. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you for listening to The Power of a Diamond. If you have enjoyed this episode and would like to find out more, please head over to our website, forevermark.com. Thank you.